don't talk too much. Just talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening. I am Eric John. And of course, before we get into it, I got to tell you about the best artisan soda in the entire world. Of course, that's Yacht Club Soda. Go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and check out all the amazing flavors they've got. They've got blue raspberry, they've got cream, orange cream, lemon lime, uh, strawberry, grape. The list goes on and on. You will not be disappointed. Please go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and check it out. John Scambato over there at Yacht Club Soda will ship. It to you wherever you live, as long as you're in the uh, continental United States, uh, you can mix, you can match. Just go to the website, order the soda. You won't be disappointed. I promise you. Again, that's yachtclubsoda.com. Also, uh, as I've been saying, I've got new pizza coming out, uh, pizza art coming out uh, pretty much uh, you know regularly at this point. Uh, this will be the last episode of the show before the holidays. Uh, I'll be taking a little time off from that and from pizza art, um, but be sure to you know be sure to follow me for all the new stuff. So go to at uh, Eric John Art on Twitter, at Eric John Art on uh, Eric John Pizza Art on Instagram, um, and then uh, also check out my uh, TikTok and my uh, YouTube channels, um, and you can check out the art of pizza. Um, that's a documentary that was made by Marcus Ritchie um, about me and my work. Uh, that's over on his channel. So just Google uh, uh, The Art of Pizza um, or search it on, uh, on YouTube and uh, and you'll find it. Okay, on the show today, super psyched to talk to this guy. Um, Ricky O'Donnell has been in the uh, the NFT space for uh, at least as long as I have. Um, and I haven't really had much of a chance to talk to him. We've had some interactions and uh, super seems like a super nice guy. Uh, seems to know a lot about um, marketing and, and sales and things like that, but also is uh, totally committed to Web3. And so I really want to hear his take on, uh, on lots of different things. So uh, without further ado, uh, Ricky, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, my friend. Um, you know, it, it occurs to me that um, I, I really don't know that much about you. Um, you know, I, we've interacted on Twitter here and there and, uh, you know, and um, you fall into this group of people who, um, you know, I really, really like and I, and I like to follow uh, because you're a very positive person. And, I, you know, I put people like uh, like Block Muse in that category or Scrawlsy, uh in that category, you know, people that just... Um, you know, it's it, they're fun to follow because they don't bring you down, and they're very positive and they're very uh, optimistic uh, for the most part. And and I like that about you. So I'm curious. Um, you know, have you always been kind of a upbeat, optimistic uh, sort of person? Oh yeah, but um, you know, don't take my kindness and positive positivity as I say to some people as, as weakness because. Uh, if I can, I can, I can, uh, my, my, my dark side is equally as strong. Uh, you know, I have a daughter, so anyone who makes tears come out. Of <laughs> well, I have two of them, so I get it. Uh, they're, they're young, but I get, I get it though. I get the, get where that comes from. Yeah. Uh, the beast don't... inside is sleeping, not dead, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, your, your personality is very, um, the word I'm looking for. It's very contagious. Um, 
And, uh, you know, your videos, I, I always try to watch them. I, you know, I, I, you've always got so, so many great insights, especially into Web3 and NFT. Um, what, what did you do before you got into Web3 and NFT? Like, what's your background? Well, so I think, well, my background really, um, oh, well, gosh, I'd have to take you back till I was 10. Right, when I was 10 well, let's, like, let's start at 10. Why not? We got yeah, some time. Well, you know, I think, well, at 10 years old, I used to hide under my bed sheets and I used to draw characters and paint and do all sorts of things. So I, I wanted to be an animator at 10 years old. That's all I ever wanted to be. And I was very, very lucky that, that that's what I ended up being able to become. I was the thorn in the ass to so many studios and companies that by the time uh, I had gone to college and stuff, I had already um, produced no end of films. I think I made my first film at the age of 10. Uh, so I sort of basically, I'm, I'm one of the lucky people, I guess, who turned their dream, their 10 year old self dream into a reality, uh, because that's all I've wanted to do. And that's what I did. So yeah, I suppose it started from a 10 year old boy's dream to become an animator and do stuff for Disney and, and, and companies like that to then make that a reality in my sort of teens, I guess. Um, I've done all sorts. I'm old. I'm like, I'm, I'm old. What's old. Okay. What's old exactly, Ricky? Cause I mean, I'm, I'm 39. So I mean, I hope oh, well, there you are. you're a youngin. No, I'm a youngin. <laughs> you don't well, seem, you don't seem older than that to me, Ricky. How well, old are you? See, you don't have an animation studio because you want to grow up you, see, <laughs> right. you go into animation right. because you want to stay a kid forever. Um, so I'm 44, but I have the mindset of a four year old because <laughs> I don't really want to grow up. I, I think adults haven't got a clue about anything. And I, I sort of always say adults really, they really don't because they forget how to dream. And, and four-year-olds and youngsters, they don't forget how to dream. They dream big and they, the world is amazing and magical. And I think that's what, that's, that was like my draw in the animation world. You know, If someone says to you, what do you do today? And you said, well, I stack some shelves at Tesco's. You go, hmm, okay, what did you do? And I go, well, I had a mate and a penguin and a turtle. What did you do? You're like, oh my God, you're crazy. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the animation world and the film world has just always been a fascination. So when we talk about Web3, but I, I sort of lived through the whole digital media realm and I just get excited by um, the fusion of technologies and art and creation. So, so yeah, now I've, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very lucky because – I have mentors who, who were at um, Disney. I've, I've, I've had lots of, lots of mentors over time. Um, and yeah, been animating for like ever. So I've sort of lived many lives to be fair and still living in the crazy one that is this web three world now. <laughs> well, you know what you, you mentioned the idea of, you know, adults sort of um, forgetting how to dream. Uh, and it, you know, the first thing that sort of popped into my head was I'm really curious as to what your, take is on sort of the current state of pop culture um, and, and maybe even specifically, you know, what companies like Disney, um, what they've been churning out in terms of their product and their animation. Um, because I know for, you know, for me, um, you know, with, with a few exceptions, it, it, it feels to me like there is just something missing. Like there's a lack of that sort of sense of, of dreaming that, um, you know, uh, and sense of awe that sort of, you know, company, a company like Disney used to have in spades. Um, 
and I see that with you, especially even with you know with the with the the entrance into Web three and sort of um, all these possibilities bouncing around in your head about what's you know what the future might hold with this new technology. Do, do you think that these big companies have, are kind of missing something in the dreaming department? Well, I think I think this space is going to shake up the big companies because my my view and my opinion is that um so i've worked for a lot of these companies and i still work for a lot of these companies but you're always working and creating ideas and other people's ideas and i think the power of web3 the art artists creators they're always the bottom of the credit list or they're at the end of the credits when everyone's gone and i think the power of web3 is that everything is possible and so therefore you can be the hero of your own story and i think this comes back to the the child so i'm going to ask you a question you may have heard this question already uh, and, and and i'll ask this question to your audience um how do you think a spoon feels how do i think a spoon feels um like wait like, like how do i what do i think a spoon feels like in my hand or how do i think a spoon how like how feels you, itself how do, you, how do you think a spoon feels Read it ever, whatever which way you like. Um, I think a, okay. I'll read it in the more uh, abstract sense. I, I think a spoon feels, um, you know, um, maybe a little rigid, maybe a little cold, but um, probably happiest when it's being dunked into a, you know, a a, a warm bowl of porridge or something, maybe <laughs> or a, a a bowl of uh, hot soup. Okay, so that's a. It's sort of a mixed mixed bag of answers there. Um, but the thing is, that same question asked to a four-year-old or a three-year-old, if you said, how does a spoon feel? They might say, sad. You go, what, what, why is the spoon sad? Go, because it's the last spoon to be taken from the drawer. And then they might talk about pirates and all sorts of different things, and their imagination goes wild. So they're not looking at the spoon as cold, metal, shiny, not used in that sense they actually have this world of imagination and this is where um you know as adults we forget to dream and we forget to imagine massive things and when we're kids you know we we we, we climb tree houses we make tree houses we, we play with friends we have this imagination that's just amazing and over time we learn from uh, our surroundings, maybe the, the, the people from schools, that that imagination and that creativity can be suppressed because it might not be deemed a real job or it might not be deemed real. Don't be silly. You are not able to fly. Um, so I think when I ask that question, it's like, what advice would you give your younger self? And, and I think when I look at Web3 and I look at the future, if you had no limits and money was no object, what would you do? And I think that, you know, that imagination of fun and unlocking your inner child um, is, is what, what, what makes the magic of like the Disney and the Web3 or anything. You know, it's that teleporting of imagination. And I think now we're in a world where content and functionality combine that literally anything is possible and so i love the fact that for many years people used to say to me because like I've, I've i've directed um i've, I've directed cinematics for, for nemo and peter pan i've done 
um, music videos. I've done all sorts. I've had an animation studio for over 24 years um, and I've won many awards and things in that realm. But I never, I never really grew up because I, I just, I think the thing is you can, you can, you say about positivity as well. We said about that earlier, but why do you want to fill your brain with negativity? Like why give it that free rent? It's like a positive mind can overcome anything. A lot of people actually say, oh, you know, positivity is toxic positivity. You can't be positive all the time. No, you can't. That's true. Um, because there are tough days. There, there are tough times. Um, but when you look back at your life, what did your younger self want to do? And did you stop doing that because people told you you weren't able to do it? Or did you actually go, no, I'm going to do it. And then realize that dream and then dream some more and then dream bigger. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people today, a lot of youngsters, it's very tough time, but they don't necessarily okay some of them might not know what they want to do in the future but I've, I've experienced over the years lots of um parents would say to me oh my my child wants to be an animator you know that's not a real job You're like isn't it really um what do you do for a living and they'll go oh maybe i stack shelves again okay cool i bet you didn't dream of doing that did you well no but it's a job i earn money okay but wouldn't it be cool to do something you absolutely love and that you're passionate of like yeah so why would you suppress that in fact just encourage your kids to do that because at the young age they can literally do and be anything why why would you suppress that um and so i think that's like where the whole peter pan syndrome comes in you know passion perseverance and peter pan syndrome never grow up um and so i think that's something that i just sort of love about the world of animation and, and the animation and arts and things like that you get teleported into like a magical world and with the advances of technology now the lines are so fine between what's real and what's not and yet it's still so exciting and 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 with the web 3 web 3 shaking everything on its head because we've gone back to 20 odd years ago when people said animation or anything isn't a real job and now you say well web 3 mm, that's not real but it's a fusion of art and technology and mediums and all sorts of different things and it's like well what is art because now it's a fusion and it's like, wow, what an exciting time to be alive with all of these possibilities. I mean, just look what's happened over the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, just with technology. Like, and, and like AI, everything. It's just like, wow. So I think, you know, you can look at anything from any type of perspective. And yes, you know, as humans, human nature is naturally focused to, to focus on the negative. But, you know, you, you mentioned Peter Pan. And, um, you know, one of, one of my all time favorite movies, and I'm, I'm pretty, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but as a kid and both as a kid and as now as a parent is, uh, the movie hook. Like I just, I love that movie for so many reasons. And there's a, there's a point in the movie at the beginning where, uh, you know, Peter, uh, played by Robin Williams, uh, literally cannot remember, uh, being Peter Pan. Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't remember it. And, and when you were talking about, you know, what did you want to be when you were a kid or what did you dream of doing or whatever? And I was trying to think like for myself and I was like, I, I don't think I can remember um, what it was I wanted to do or be when I was six, seven, eight years old. Like I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm like struggling to even remember. Um, and 
and isn't that weird? Like, isn't that strange? This, that, this idea of like, you know, you don't even it, it, the imagination and the dreaming that you're talking about, you know, as you get older, it, it goes away to a point where it can be actually be even really difficult to even remember what it was like or to remember um, what it was you were thinking when you had this amazing imagination. Um, another thing you mentioned, I think that's important is the, the importance of encouragement. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm curious when you were, you know, when, when little Ricky was under the covers drawing at, at 10 years old, did, did you have, uh, people in your life who were, uh, encouraging of your dreams and your hopes and your talents, like, like parents or grandparents or teachers or anything like that, that was really important to you? Yeah. So I, 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 again, I, I'm very lucky because, uh, my, my parents, uh, my mom, my dad, they, they, they supported me. My family supported me because my dad, my, my dad, actually, he was someone who he's one of the very few people in the world I look up to, even though he's smaller than me, bless him. Um, yeah, <laughs> when he was younger, he was told he would never be able to be an engineer and he wanted to join the, like the army and be a Royal engineer. And he was told he'd never be one. Yet he, he used to take apart engines in his room and make a hell of a mess. And that's all he wanted to be. So when someone of authority that you look to says you're not able to do something, a lot of people would then believe that to be true and then buckle and never do it. And he did the opposite. He was like, what? Uh, and then he ended up, you know, he, he became a mechanic and he worked at different garages and he used to work many jobs and he used to do, you know, do work on the drive. And I used to help him when I was a kid, um, you know, doing some of the bits as well, passing him the tools. And then over time he worked his way up and he became very successful and he became one of the senior um, guys for, for like Saya and VW group. And he used to teach technicians all over the world. And yet this is somebody who, in a moment of madness when he was younger, said he was never going to be able to do that. And yet that's all he ever wanted to do. And so I think that that for me, looking at how he did that and how he overcome the tough times when we were younger and all these sorts of things um, was an inspiration. And so he never, nor did my mother, and they never said I would never make it in art or I would never not be an animator. You know, animation was very new back then. You know, this is a really long time ago now. And they used to encourage it. So my dad brought home a camera from work one day and I used to make these films um, and they encouraged me to make these films. Uh, and then lo and behold, you know, um, after going to college and lucky, I went to Bournemouth, which is the national center for computer animation in the UK. So my lecturers were like Disney and our man and all sorts. Uh, and then you sort of live in, the, then that was like living the dream. You know, it was like, wow, this is animation. This is cool. But, but you see, the interesting thing is that when you start realizing and living that dream and having exhibitions around Europe and films and all this sorts of stuff, you realize that actually the reality of life kicks in and the reality of big corporations and money. And so then what you end up doing is what is your passion? Um, not get suppressed, but in the media and film world, you work all the hours God gives and you sleep under your desk and you, you burn up so much time because you want to make that shot perfect. Or maybe there's a deadline for that commercial or that film, you know, those shots, you've got to get that right. 
So you end up sort of sleeping under your desk and it just takes all of this time. And I remember my father had said to me at one point, he said, it was at a barbecue actually, he said, Ricky, you're going to wake up, you're going to be 40 and everyone around you is going to be gone. And I was like, whoa, dad, that's super deep. Anyway, crack on. And then you sort of carried on for the next couple of years <laughs> in that whole rat race of freelancing and doing films and working and building the company and growing the company. But the fact that he said that, it resonated with me. So um, after we did um, cinematics for like Disney and then we did like Top Gear and we did um, Tom Jones music video, Give a Little Love and various projects that we did. We used to sleep under our desks because it was like the deadlines were always tight for TV, media, games, anything like that. Deadlines were always insane. Uh, and then I sort of really thought about what my old man had said. And I went, you know what? Enough is enough. Weekends are going to be family time. Um, because no one put on their tombstone, I wish I worked an extra hour. And I used to say that to myself all the time. And I think it's such a powerful statement. You know, no one put on their tombstone, I wish I worked an extra hour. So the, the, the agencies, the big London agencies used to work for, and lots of these companies, they'd go, you've got to work this weekend. You've got to do this. I haven't got to do nothing. That's my company, my rules. We do want weekends are family time. And so for my team, that would also be true. And so then when we did that, I used to talk at lots of universities and I used to talk to these animators and these young artists. I've, I've done workshops all over the world with kids. I love inspiring the next generation. And then they used to say to me, oh, yeah, but we've got to do all the hours and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And I said, why? Because if you believe that to be true, it will never change. And so you will always be taken advantage of. And that expectation will mean that you will lose so much of your life. And one day you'll wake up and realize everything is gone. And they'd go, oh, I want to be an animator. Well, you're an animator already. You're animating. Now what do you want to be? Oh. And so I think when you, when you realize a childhood dream, and most people don't realize their childhood dream, then the problem is you maybe didn't dream big enough. So you have to dream more. And what are those dreams? And so in order to make all of these changes, um, you then have to value time. And if you value time because that's our most valuable currency. It's the one thing that we, we spend, but we never get back. Um, when you value time, uh, it becomes really powerful because after I spent quite a lot of time working on my business rather than in it and surrounding myself with amazing people, uh, that was sort of when I, because I, I used to be a firefighter as well. I used to be a retained firefighter, right? a proper, proper crazy old Oh, no, no way. Yeah, I, I was a, a volunteer firefighter myself for about four or five years was you oh, i was wow. i was yeah uh this is many years ago now but you know when i was in my uh mid to late 20s i did that yeah. and it was pretty great well, and isn't that a great reality check oh yeah absolutely yes and it was you know it was nothing that was really interesting about it was um i think because it was volunteer actually and it was sort of a community fire department um you know there was a sense of doing something that was a part of the community, helping the community, but also, you know, you, you got to see how people lived in a way that you ordinarily never would. Uh, you know, usually when you go over to someone's house or something like that, you know, they're expecting you. Um, and, you know, you really get an insight into what people are dealing with, what they're, the hard things they're going through, 
um, the situations that they're living in that they would never have a stranger, you know, ever be a part of or see. Um, but of course you, you do see it because you're, you're there because it's an emergency, you know, um, you know, very, very eye opening in, in, in many ways. Um, I miss it in a lot of ways because it was, it was good fun and it was hard. It was challenging, but, uh, uh, I miss the, the people. Um, why, why did you stop? I stopped because, um, I moved was, was the main reason, but they, they made some changes too to the department, the way they did things, um, that didn't really work with my, my work schedule. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my job. It was, uh, you know, it was a thing I did when I could. Um, and so that didn't really work for me. And then, and then I got married, I moved. Um, so it didn't, it didn't really make sense to do it anymore. Um, so that's why I stopped. It wasn't, I'm sure if I still lived there, um, you know, there's a chance I might still be doing it, but see, I, I, I um, cause I, I did it for like eight and a half years and you know, if you think you're having a bad day, if you go to an incident where someone's lost their whole family in an accident, that's a bad day. And so it was a reality check. Oh yeah. I think, I, and I actually, I stopped when my son, my first son, um, my eldest, when he was born, because I didn't have the time to do the company, do the fire brigade and do the, the family thing. Cause it was literally always working. And it was like, I have to, I have to, something's got to give. And to be honest, as you'll know, um, when you see young people or people that you know in an incident that you may have gone to, that is quite hard. Everything else, you get quite a dark sense of humor. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah there's, it's it's, there's plenty humor. of humor. There's plenty of humorous, <laughs> dark, dark, humorous things that go on and that you see for sure. But yeah, when you know somebody, um, yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. It, 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 it is. I'm sure you be laughing because you do get a sense of dark humor. Um, I won't say some of those stories now. People will be scarred. <laughs> we all have them. <laughs> we all have them. <laughs> but uh, I think then, you know, I, I step back there. But why I think it's important how you invest your time and who you invest your time with uh, is because after all of that, that's when when I, I got cancer. But I didn't, at the time I had that, I didn't go, oh man, I, I wish I did this. I wish I did that and have a life full of regrets. I was like, well, actually I had a, I had a big inner peace because I'd already worked on myself or my business and I had time and my kids knew who I was and there's all this sort of thing. Cause I used to see working in, in media and film and, and the productions that I have and stuff, I used to see so many people travel the world, you know, working really hard, not seeing their families. And I get that people work really hard daily um, and they're, they're earning money for the family and everything. And I do, I, I totally get that. But there are a lot of people who are so busy working that they forget why they're working in the first place and they're not able to enjoy their kids or enjoy that time. And I was like, well, actually, I want to enjoy that time. And because I, because I became an architect of time in the earlier years, don't get me wrong. I still work hard. I still do lots of stuff. I still do all the hours, but, but just architect time, uh, I was able to not really have regrets. And so therefore plan the fact that the future, I want to create more life memory hooks because I think life is so short. And so when you say about positive, um, mindsets and stuff, 
I think, you know, there's a, there's a great saying, um, Napoleon Hill said it, from every adversity comes a seed of equal or greater opportunity. And I love quotes and I love sayings like that because um, it's very easy to go, why me, why me, why me? And then the reality is you go, well, try me then. Come on then, hold my beer, watch this space. And, and so I think a positive mind can literally overcome anything. And it's still okay not to, it's still okay not to be okay. Um, but this is where the beauty, I guess, of imagination and animation and getting lost in creativity or the arts and all these things is great because it's an escapism. You know, it's, it's a world away from the harsh reality of what we see daily. You know, the world is a tough and brutal place. It's also very beautiful. And so Web3 comes along and Web3 really is expedited and really like the metaverse and technology is all expedited after COVID because so many people are, are at home. There is no one to speak to or lots of things are happening. And so audible apps change everything because it connects people like they've never been connected before. Like prior to the audible apps of like clubhouse or Twitter and things like this, I used to go to conferences and I spent a lot of money learning from, amazing people and asking all these sorts of questions. And I've, I've interviewed lots of people. Um, you know, I've, I've spent no end of time interviewing so many um, and asking them, how did they get rich? How did they make their money? What was this? What's this? And um, the outcome of many of it was perfection kills momentum. And I was like, huh, that's pretty cool. Cause like in, in art and media and in the, traditional sort of film worlds and stuff, you're like trying to make everything perfect, but there's no such thing. So perfection kills momentum, be prolific, not perfect. And so Web3 is so prolific, it's untrue. Like how, oh my gosh, it's not right. But because people fail fast and hard and then they learn and they evolve, um, people don't really focus then on on what hasn't done. They, they focus on how they made that happen. And so Web3... I mean, what is Web 2 and Web 3 anyway? Um, it's just a title. It's just a, a tag. But as you get older and you look back on your life or your learnings and everything, you know, we're in a different world now. Like the Generation Z, the next generation, they have actually got it quite tough because they've got this abundance of information. They're hooked to their phones. They've got all this stuff that actually they're more susceptible to depression, anxiety, all of these things because they have this information and they become socially inept because they're always on games or they're always on, they don't really talk to people. Um, but, but the Web3, you know, the, the ability of Audible apps and the ability to, to reach out and make friends all over the world, that is powerful. Like That's really powerful. A billion friends is far greater than a billion pound. And, and, and I think another thing, you said you've got kids, right? Yeah, I got two, six and uh, four. Oh wow! So Christmas coming? It's coming. Oh, oh yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. I'm mean, I'm putting the tree up today, actually. Um, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. they're getting excited. I bet they are. Oh you yeah. See, see, that's so amazing. Have it four or six. See, my oldest is fifteen. My my, my daughter's thirteen, and my my Rory Rose three. So he's super excited. But I think if you have kids and you don't make friends all over the planet, you're being selfish. I say that again, if you have kids and you're not making friends all over the planet so they can have friends all over the world, you're being selfish. Because I think 
the ability to make friends all over the globe and a small globe it is means you get to open many opportunities and you get to discuss understand experience so many different cultures that when your kids are older that you will know someone somewhere or be connected to that could potentially introduce them to or share them to or whatever it might be and so i think that's the power of network and so web3 allows you to grow your network like nothing else and it's like community the communities are like nothing else because people it, it's a minority of people who are truly in the web3 nft realm really but out of that minority the majority actually want everyone to succeed and in life most people don't necessarily want you to succeed. They sort of maybe be jealous or they secretly want you to fail. And that's a horrible thing to say, but some people, that's generally the reality. But in the Web3 world, in the NFT realm, the friendships, the communities that you make, the bonds that are there, genuinely people want everyone to succeed because then the space succeeds. And so then that becomes, that becomes the beauty of having friends all over the world, which is then the Web3 realm and then the only limitations are your imagination. So you get back to your inner child and you're like, what would I give advice? Would I give my younger self? And what do I want to be when I grow up? And so you just have fun really. And I think that, you know, the world is too serious. Everything can be so serious. There's doom and gloom everywhere. Why give it headspace? Oh, I agree. Especially, especially when, when there's very little you can do about it. Um, you know, uh, I can, I can have an effect on, you know, my immediate life here, my kids, my family, my, uh, my job, my work, you know, I, I can't, I can't affect what's going on in the middle East or whatever, you know, I, it's good to know that what's going on, but, um, you know, uh, what good is it doing anybody, them or me to, for, to spend my entire time, my entire day consumed with it. Um, you know, it's just, it, I think it's a, it's a harsh thing to say it's, it's, but I think you're right. It's the reality, you know, there's harsh realities to, to life and that's one of them. Um, and it's I also think, social engineering, like right. social engineering of, um, you know, Instagram. I, I remember, right. It always sticks in my mind. Uh, in social media, everyone is supposedly living the best life. Okay, that's what people like to show. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me, my life is amazing. It's so great. Yep. Uh, and then they turn off the social media and they're probably crying. They may be having an absolute meltdown. Life isn't that great, but no one knows because they don't project the true reality. And I remember I was in Disneyland and there was a young girl and she took a picture, a selfie, and it was all happy and everything. And I was with my wife and we, I was watching and then the moment that picture was taken, she looked so sad. She sat there and she looked so sad. She was on her own. And I just thought, God, that is social media totally. And, um, and right. this is where yeah. I think it's hard for the next generation because they absorb content from TikTok, from Instagram, from everything on how you should live your life, how everything should be rosy and how everything should be amazing. But they haven't necessarily had the hard knocks. And so being positive, of course, you know, be positive because it can overcome everything but then don't sugarcoat the reality of life but then don't whinge over it either 
you know, at the end of the finger. Lots of lots of young people go, you didn't teach me this and you didn't do that. At the end of the finger is you. Stop moaning. <laughs> you know, what are well, you, you know, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about perspective, too. Like, I think, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the I had um, I had a guy named George Luz Jr. on the show and uh, his his dad was featured in the show Band of Brothers. Um, he was one of the men of Easy Company. And I got to tell you, I mean, I whenever I find myself in a situation where I'm lamenting just, you know, one of the things of everyday life, it, it could be something as simple as like, you know, the person in front of me in, in the supermarket checkout line is is taking a really long time, um, you know, or someone maybe, you know, is driving really slow uh, down the road and I'm getting frustrated you know, I, I just <laughs> I, I find myself getting a little worked up. And then I think about like this guy being 19, 20 years old in, you know, the frozen forests of on the Belgium German border, you know, for a month on end in a foxhole, freezing his feet off and dodging mortar rounds. I, I just, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but like I think about that all the time and then it kind of snaps me out of it. And I'm like, man, like like waiting in line at the supermarket or, you know, uh, being stuck in traffic is like a million times better than that, you know? Um, and it kind of snaps me out of it. It snaps me back into like, okay, this is like, I'm, this is a good situation that, I, that I'm in here. And, you know, I kind of go, go on with my day. Um, do you think that social media makes it harder to have that perspective? Because it's sort of like, you know, it's like you're living your life in public constantly um, you, you know, do you think it's hard, makes it harder to have that sort of grip on, you know, really how, how much more difficult things really could be for a lot of us? So, yes, I do. Because actually you, what you described, okay, um, was a pattern interrupt. You were able to give yourself a pattern interrupt. So you weren't consumed with that moment. And most people aren't able to give themselves that pattern interrupt because they've never heard that story or experienced or spoken to someone who could share that type of story um, or hear those things. So so um, I think when you are consumed in the now sometimes or in that moment, everything you see is then believable, but you don't take a step back and question, is it reality? And I think with social media... You know, where we've got the instant instant gratification monkey where we need to know the answers now and so-and-so said this, so therefore it's true. It's like if you had a blue pen and a green pen and I kept saying that the blue pen was green and then everyone suddenly said the blue pen was green, you'd eventually go, it's not, oh, okay, it's just green. So if you say something enough or you see something enough, you then believe that to be true. And social media... You know, people are always comparing themselves to other people or they're looking at what is potentially the best life or what someone's saying, but you don't really get under the hood unless you sort of say to people, how are you today? Are you having a good day? And if they go, no, I'm not having a fucking good day. I'm having a night. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? I apologize. And you can go, yeah, go for it. It's totally fine. Okay. So, so, but you see, the thing is, is that, um, uh, because you were saying, like, it was funny, actually, because you were saying, you know, when you're standing in a queue, don't get me wrong, like, bloke, as a bloke, I don't like, if we go shopping, I don't like people under my feet. I don't like queues. I don't like people in my space. Oh, yeah, I hate it. Going, <laughs> I hate it. So, 
The fact you could have a pattern interrupt is great because that's when I get really grumpy. I just want to tear people up and throw them somewhere or just destroy yeah, them. And, and that's very real. <laughs> I mean, that's that's very it's a very real feeling. I have it too. I, I get super annoyed and, and frustrated. Well, you, you see, the funny thing is for me is like I'm six foot four, like twenty stone. And now I'm not in the fire brigade. I have my beard, so I have a, I can have an angry resting bitch face. So if I'm out shopping, no one wants to come near me anyway because I'm like not happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, please go ahead, sir. Why don't you actually? You know yeah, what? Why don't you go in yeah, front of you, me? You, you go ahead. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and so I'm normally avoided. Um, so so in, the, in the world of of Web three or NFTs or anything like that, you know, I will always project a positive. Um, mindset and a positive thing because not everybody is mentally resilient i certainly don't think the next generation are as mentally resilient yeah because right of i know every generation says this and 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 you know what every generation is also right but i think yeah that, um i mean there's a there's a there's a statement and i've forgotten it now but it was like tough times create Tough, tough men. Oh yeah, I was I was just saying this yesterday to a, a guy I work with. Yeah, it's uh, um um it's um something like hard hard men, for lack of a better term, uh, hard men uh, make good times. Good times make uh, weak men. Weak men make weak time. You know, uh, weak weak times. Weak times make yeah, strong so men. Kind of thing. Yeah, it goes. Hard, hard. Yeah, hard times create strong men. Right. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And so that is and it goes around and around, right? And it goes around and around and around. Exactly. And and it's you know, it's true. And I think but there are circumstances, you know, technology and everything now. I mean, you show you how old you are when you go. Well, we didn't have the mobile phone when I was a kid. I was climbing a tree, and when the lights when the when the lights came on outside, that's when I had to be home. Whereas now it's like, oh, you know, you make sure of this, and you know, it's it's a different world out there. But I think when you have everything at your fingertips and you have so much information, and then you have social engineering because we're in an attention economy, like you've got to get attention, you've got to keep attention, right. and more attention is required. And it doesn't matter what walk of life it is. It doesn't matter whether it's NFTs, whether it's crypto, whether it's business. You've got to get attention. You've got to keep attention, and more attention is required. I know it's like so att attention it's is is become the currency uh, of the world. And and what's kind of ironic about that is we have so many people with <laughs> attention deficit, you know, problems. Um, yet attention attention itself is sort of the the, the greatest currency. That, that's kind of a weird dichotomy weird dichotomy that exists there um well, but also best known product beats best product like you could you could be have the best product in the world or be the best artist or creator or whatever in the world but if no one knows you exist right you don't exist and if if someone who's not very good or a brand is not very like i look take it back to like um apple you know when the iphone came out and i was going back but when the iphone came out it software was buggy it didn't necessarily work but they got it out there and then they just updated the software whereas back in the day nokia they would like release a new phone every sort of six months 
So then Apple changed the whole game because it's completely prolific. Tesla did it with cars. You know, everyone's like, oh, Tesla, the build quality is not so good. And they'd slam Tesla. Now it's the biggest car. Well, you know, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, uh, what was it? Perfection is it, it kills, uh, kills momentum. momentum. You know, I was thinking about that because it's, I find it interesting. Like for me, um, I've always been a very creative person, you know, musician and, and always been into, interested in all sorts of different creative pursuits. But it's, it, it's, I find it interesting to me that the, you know, the art form that I've really that I really love and I've come to love and that I discovered in making the pizza art. Um, it's sort of, it's interesting because it's, it's impossible to be a perfectionist because at a certain point you just have to be done. Like I, I can't, you know, it's not like a novel, like writing a novel or, or even working on a painting where you could literally work on it forever and never be done with it. Um, like I, it sort of forces me to, to keep perfectionism at bay. Um, and the same when I was a musician, like I, I, I was always in sort of improvisational bands and stuff like that. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, you, you know, you have a certain amount of time, this is what it is. And then it's over. Um, and, uh, I think you're right. I think that that, I think, you know, you really have to learn to, uh, just keep putting out good stuff. It might not be perfect, but like be, make it as good as you can and then put it out there and let people see it and let people enjoy it. Um, is that what you try to bring to what you're doing with NFT Jungle and all of that stuff? Yeah. So, um, so interestingly enough, and like pre pre cancer and pre like you know the, the corporate world when we're like doing commercials for brands, when we're doing stuff for brands and we're doing things, everything is pixel perfect. The logos are perfect. Everything is there. We're set into hyper realism. The commercials are amazing, and then everyone gets used to seeing them. And we did a whole load of workshops for um, a large automotive company, like well, Jaguar Land Rover, basically. We, we did these workshops, and we went to South Africa, and we interviewed them, and I've done lots with kids. And, you know, if you showed them a really super pretty video, they go, oh, yeah, and then they're bored straight away. Um, but show them, like, a YouTube video or show them mixed media, and you have their attention. And, and so then that breaks the realms of perfection because – brands agencies they all want these perfect logos but but the way we all learn is through a blended mix of content now and that means that you could spend millions of pounds on a commercial of 30 seconds or 40 seconds or hundreds of thousands of pounds on it or tens of thousands of pounds on it but you could show videos of behind the scenes or you know cameras and talking about stuff and that would be more impactful than the final commercial like find the final commercial is great but actually the behind the scenes the magic the reality the talking the the realness that is more powerful and and then you'd argue well that's not perfect because that's not a final perfect commercial it's like no but it's content and content is king and you can produce one thing but you can actually have an abundant you can have many and so if you repurpose content, you rework. I um after after I'd had cancer, I spent quite a lot of money um traveling to meet and have different mentors. So, you know, I had like Grant Cardone was a mentor, I had um various other men, loads of different mentors. And one mentor I had, uh because because but way back when there was a there was a, a period of time in my career and life where there were lots of people who suddenly became business coaches who never had a business. And they maybe told you how to make a million pound business, but they've never made a business turn over a million pounds. So how can you explain it if you've never done it? Um, and they used to infuriate me. So I used to, 
uh, before NFTs and that. I used to have some mentees and I had a mentor. Um, and my view was that a coach can help you get to a door, but maybe never gone through the door to go what's over the other side of the hill. So they might have you in like ski masks and ski stuff, but a mentor, someone who's been there, done it, worn the t-shirt will tell you over the hill, it's actually the Sahara desert and you don't need all the things. So, so when you ask people who have either had the job or done the job or done the thing you want to do, you can learn. And this is where the perfection um, uh, and, and being prolific, not perfect comes into play. Because if you look at anybody who's truly been successful, they've been successful because they took action. And then they failed. And they took note why they failed. And they evolved and they re-entered it and then they started again. And then people didn't necessarily focus on the failure, although some people will continue to focus on the failure. They actually evolved and they learned and they rapidly evolved and like i look at what elon musk has done i look at what steve jobs i look at what um great thought leaders or you know people who have been told they're not able to do something come back and keep coming back when most people would give up they kept going through and the the line of success and failure is so fine is so fine that success truly leaves clues. And so being prolific, not perfect, is great because if you wait for something to be perfect, it will never be perfect and it will never get done and therefore you will never complete it and it will just become a dream that never became reality. Whereas like with the NFT jungle or and everything that we're doing, um, they were the first lines on the blockchain. You can't take that away from them. It's impossible to take that away from the jungle because they're the first lines of the blockchain. And so provenance by being first is also important over time and by 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 failing and learning and evolving and failing and learning and evolving uh the more you do it um the better something becomes and i think when you look at some of these platforms in web3 or you look at the you know, some companies you think oh my god this is so rubbish or this is so brilliant it just doesn't work but the most successful ones listen to their consumers or their customers or their audience and they evolve and they implement and they evolve those that become arrogant or don't think they want to listen and just do whatever then they won't really succeed in the long term and so i think when you when i'm very lucky because i've had the the chance and the privilege to work with lots of brands and lots of people and celebrities and all sorts of people but i always have asked how have they done that what do you do what advice would you give yourself you know there's no right or wrong there's different i just always ask questions and even the most stupidest of questions but i would always ask questions and and i'm just fascinated by the answers and some answers resonate with you and some answers don't but you can take those that do and you think ah okay huh that's cool. And I suppose that comes back to when you said, you know, about my support network when I was younger, when my father was told he would never do what he ended up becoming really well known for and, and very successful for. Um, had he have listened to the person who said he couldn't do it, that would have been a completely different world or give him a different story. So, yeah, can't is constant, never-ending tantrum. And so being prolific, um, when I have interviewed so many people, and I'm I'm lucky to and and you as you've interviewed people, I, 
you know, I'm lucky to have interviewed billionaires and millionaires and celebrities and all sorts of people. Um, the common thread is they never gave up and they were disciplined and they took action, but they failed as well. They failed a lot. They failed a lot, but people don't talk about that because they just look at the success. And so, um, but then you look at social media. I know we was talking about social media earlier and, and then there's this belief that money and everything, but I know lots of people who have got lots of money that aren't happy. And it's like, you know, people don't say, oh, money doesn't buy happiness. No, but then poor people aren't able to buy anything. And it's like, huh? And it's like, well, money is important, but it isn't the be all and end all. Like if you can literally, I always, I do this exercise, right? And I may have done it with you. If I haven't, I'm going to do it with you now. So stretch your arms out wide. Okay. <clears throat> Done. That is the best exercise in the world. Why? Why is it the best exercise in the world? Um, something to do with reaching out, maybe. Okay, do it again. So stretch out wide. Yeah. All your viewers who are listening now on the playback, if I haven't bored you to death. <laughs> Definitely not. Stretch your arms. Stretch your arms out wide. Unless that you're driving. If you're driving, don't. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it if you're driving. <laughs> but if you're, if you're home, do it. <laughs> There's someone out there that will let go of the wheel and trust me and then we'll yeah, all yeah. be blamed. And, and right, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't do it if you're on the train and accidentally punch someone in the face. <laughs> know, whoops. Either. Yeah, but <laughs> it's the best exercise in the world. Because if you can do that without restriction, it means you're alive. You're not in a coffin. Well, that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, look, but then, that goes back to what you're, that very thing goes right back to what we were saying about perspective. You mm. know, even just the perspective of I'm alive and not dead, you know, is a pretty yeah. good one. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. No, yeah. And, and, and but this is it though, isn't it? Because like being alive, when I said earlier, no one put on their tombstone, I wish I could work an extra hour. And when you, unfortunately, you know, there's two things you can be sure of, death and taxes. And those two things you can definitely be sure of. But do you want a life where you've created memory hooks and lived? Or do you want a life where you've saved some coppers and you might have some money but you've never really been anywhere or done anything or have any friends and therefore no one will remember you. You know, it's so, it's so, man, so it, this makes me think of so many things. My, you know, my, my dad has this question that he asks and you love to ask questions and I, they're such interesting questions. And you, you're the first person I've had on the show that's asked me any questions really. I mean, so which is pretty cool. But I, uh, one question that he asked and it's a very good thought experiment is, um, would you take, a billion dollars, but the catch is, is that you're going to die tomorrow. Like, would you make that trade? No. And nobody would. Like, nobody would make that trade. I don't care who you ask. No one would take the billion dollars if they knew they were going to die tomorrow. Like, that was the stipulation. So if you think about it, you should be living every day as if that day is worth a billion dollars or more. Yeah. yeah. Because you wouldn't make that trade. So obviously, you value being alive more than you value the billion dollars. So why don't we walk around every day like we've got a billion dollars just being alive? It's a really, it's, it's, it really does sort of make you stop and think like, what is, what's going on with my mindset every day, you know? But, but you see, what was really, what, what I think is really interesting and with your mindset is that you're able to break out of the pattern interrupt. 
you you can give yourself a pattern interrupt to come out of that 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 negative thought because we all have negative thoughts yeah we all have we all think dark things and we've probably all thought very 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 dark things um and normally you need a pattern interrupt for that to happen to, to come right. out of that cycle and so you know it's it's very easy I think that's like, you know, there's lots of things, isn't there? There's like people sometimes wear like an elastic band and they flick it and want that pain stops them thinking that negative thought or whatever. Well, yeah, um, sometimes you need something like sometimes like if you're in a tough situation, sometimes just just if you can, just stepping out of it and walking away from that situation for even for a second can kind of give you the space you need to, to do that mental work, to have that pat pattern interrupt because you're right because I mean, there's times where. I'm in a situation or I'm in a hard moment and there's no, like there's no way out of it in, in, inside my own head. Um, uh, and if I can have the wherewithal to kind of, um, actually have like a physical actual break from like taking a break from whatever that thing is, um, you know, can really help you start to think about, try to have that perspective and to think about things a little bit different. Okay. This moment's really hard. This, you know, what's what's happening right now is really difficult and it's really not not very fun. Um, and uh, I really wish this wasn't happening right now. But let me just take a second. Like, you know, this is this, you know, you don't have to pretend like things are just are, are totally OK. Um, but it does help you to realize, OK, you know, this is still like I would so much rather be dealing with this difficult thing than a, a whole host of other way more difficult thing so let me approach it with that energy instead yeah 100 percent. how is your life model because my life model is broken i'll give you that a good like on the life buckets so like there's family time there's work there's health and there's personal time i think there might be five buckets but um if you're not spending more than 10% on each of those buckets, your life model's broken. And like, I'm not actually exercising at the moment. I'm not training enough. I need to start training. Yeah. You know, I gotta get, I gotta get, I've, I've been, I've been watching what I eat now for a couple of months and I've been losing weight, which is great, but I haven't been exercising. I think that's, that's also, a, that's such a great thing um, just for your mental health and everything. It's something I definitely got to get more into, but I think, yeah, for me, I think it's, I, I love routine and, and structure. Like, like I, I always have a really hard time like going on vacations because there's no really? structure really. Um, you're out of, I'm out of my routine. So like, I, I definitely cling to routine. Like I, knowing what's coming definitely helps me. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, I mean, look, it's pretty much family, uh, work, which in my case, I think I'm lucky because my work is very much tied to my passion and my art. So, um, like, like with, like for you, like it didn't start out that way necessarily, like working at my family's business and, and, you know, the pizzeria and everything, um, you know, it wasn't a creative now endeavor. You've made it your own, though. What's you that? Your standpoint. Now you've made it your own. Well, exactly. Yeah. I found something, right. I found exactly. And especially for, uh, you know, a, a third generation, um, you know, person coming into a family business, that's, that, that's crucial. Um, mm. You know, they always say the saying is, is that the, you know, the first generation starts it, uh, the second generation builds upon it, you know, grows it. And the third generation is usually the one that loses it. Um, and I think that the hardest thing I think people in my position being, um, you know, I'm really a fifth generation uh, baker in my family. 
Um, but my grandfather branched off and, and started his own thing, his own place basically on, on his own. So I'm really kind of like third generation in that sense. And, and, you know, I think, uh, it can be extremely difficult after those first two generations kind of do what they do to make it your own and to, and to put your own stamp on it at that point. And if you can't do that, you know, if you can't find a way to do that, I think, you you know, you're going to, you could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, and thankfully I've been able to do that. So that's a big ingredient anyway. Do you think your kids will, will, will be the next generation? I have no idea. Uh, if they want to be great, I, you know, I, I, I really do feel like, you know, my kids are still little, but like, yeah. you know, I, I think it's there. For, hopefully it'll be there for them the way it was there for me. Like it, it really was there for me when I was kind of aimless, didn't really have a sense of what I was going to do. Um, you know, and then found purpose in it. So that was great. And that's a huge thing to have, uh, you know, sort of fall back on. And then I've sort of grown into it. Um, So I certainly hope it's still there for them, you know, to, uh, you know, you never really know uh, how outside factors are going to affect things in terms of certain businesses. And that's why you have to try to keep changing, I think, but uh, and keep moving with the times. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I hope it's there for them. Um, and if they don't want to do it, that's fine too. Like, I just want them, I really just want them to do whatever, like you said, I think this conversation has really made me sort of not rethink, but like sort of reaffirmed, like the idea of wanting to encourage their imaginations because so, look, let's be honest. Sometimes their imaginations can be, can to us adults can be, uh, a little stifling in terms when you're, when you're trying to get things done, you're trying to get somewhere, you know? Um, but I'm going to really try to like really lean but into letting cool, them do that yeah because i think i think the thing is as well it's like um rory he's three so if i said what do you want to be when you grow up darling he goes oh, i'm gonna be spider-man daddy <laughs> and i'm like who am i to say he's not going to be spider-man he might be that's awesome exactly Toby you Maguire be spider-man, was Spider-Man. You, you be spider-man i wish i was spider-man <laughs> and, and it's like and i love that and i love that sort of innocence i don't really want to there's this rush with Oh, you look at films, you look at content, you look at everything now. It's like there's a rush to grow up. Why? Why rush to grow up? Stay as young as you can, as long as you can, because the real world is bloody horrible. And it's like, why grow up so fast? And then we all we all sort of, you know, when we're at school and that go, oh, I hate school. And then you sort of go, oh, God damn, I want to go back to school where I finish at like three and I get like loads of holidays and I don't have any pressures of any money or anything. It'd be amazing. Uh, so we all sort of do that as we get older. But um, you know, I think just the whole, like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Me? What do I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of like being a pizza artist. Like I, if I could just keep doing that, uh, and like, if that was all I had to do, like if I could spend all my time doing that, I think I probably would love doing that. Like right now I spend, you know, one day a week tops doing that. And the rest of my time is doing other stuff that I have to do, you know, um, that, you know, is part of running the business and everything and, and, uh, um, making all sorts of other food products that have to get made. Um, but like, if I could just spend all my time doing that, that would be, I mean, I can't think of anything more fun than that. Okay. So what's stopping you? Um, I think it's, it's just not, profitable enough yet in order to be able to support a family i like the fact you said yeah there that's good well yeah well i think that's the thing and i think that has to do with what you were saying about perseverance you know it's a matter of just like the podcast is a great example right so you know 
something like 95% of all podcasts that exist right now are, are not active. Like they're not putting out new episodes. Um, a lot of times people will record 10 or 15 episodes, you know, and they don't see like an immediate growth. They don't see immediately that there's thousands of people listening to them. And, uh, and so they give up on it. Um, for me, like I, you know, on average, I might have 30 to 40 downloads on each episode. It's not a lot. It's a small audience, but it's there. Um, you know, and that's good. That's good for me. Like I'm, I'm happy with that and I'm happy to keep trying to grow it. And, uh, I get to talk to really interesting people like you and like, um, you know, people that, uh, I've talked to history professors. I've talked to, um, other people in web three. I've talked to, um, you know, uh, army veterans about their experiences. I've talked to all sorts of interesting people and that in and of itself is, is, you know, uh, for me is a success. What's your, what's your most memorable? So I've got two more questions, but what's your most memorable story from all the people you've interviewed so far? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I will say the, the, the George Luz interview was particularly special to me just because for a couple of reasons, one, that show is something I think about all the time the Band of Brothers show. It's just, like I said, it's one of those things I think about that show and it, it literally uh, pulls me out of situations where um, I feel like I need perspective. And, and on, I mean, I don't want, I mean, I don't know if I can say a daily basis, but on a pretty regular basis. So being able to talk to him and actually talk about his dad and hear about his relationship with his dad and what his dad had told him and, you know, experiences and stuff like that. Um, that was that was a really special interview for me. He's also from Rhode Island where I live, so that was sort of like also really cool. Um, you know, he, he you know, we, it's a weird thing of being being from the states is you know one thing, but like being from Rhode Island is is a weird thing. It's a very small number of people who can say they're from Rhode Island, and so uh, everyone who lives here and is from here kind of has it's like a little club that you're in. Um, and so when you meet someone else of note who, you know, is is from here, it's just you have sort of that instant connection like automatically. Um, my friend Mike, who is an army veteran, um, telling me stories about what it was like, you know, after 9-11 and um, the stuff that he had to go through um, was also really, you know, really meaningful to me. Um so, I mean, those are two that just jump out. I think there is something to hearing stories of adversity that I really yeah. cling to. I, I find it inspiring and I find it helpful um, and, uh, and interesting, especially people who are able to talk about it um, and yeah. are able to, you know, have gleaned their own perspective from it, I think is is pretty special. It's, it's, it's interesting because you, you just re you reminded me. Um, so a, a friend of mine, a, a guy called Dave Watson, He's a Paralympic um, gold medalist, silver medalist, bronze medalist at the Invictus Games. And he used to be part of the Queen's Guard. And he um, he got blown up in Afghanistan. He lost his legs. He lost his arm. But he eventually died numerous times. And he's come back. He's fought back. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Most one of the most inspirational people I've I've uh, the privilege to to interview and, and call friend, and um, he shared a story with me. Like he, you know, he he came through that. He he met his wife. He's got 
two beautiful girls. He's got like his life's amazing now, but at the moment he thought his life was over, obviously after the explosion. But before that, he told me of the story when the queen made him orange juice, got him an orange juice because it was one hot summer's day and he was really hot. And the queen's guard, they wear these massive bearskin um, headpieces and it was a, such a hot day. And then he heard the queen say, would you like an orange juice? And he said, yes, ma'am. And, and, and she said to him to go and sit down in the shade and drink the orange juice. And his sergeant came up to him and goes, what do you think you're doing? Right. And he went, <laughs> um, you know, properly have to go at him. Cause obviously when you're the queen's guard, you're on guard. And he said, Oh, you got to take out with the boss. And then, um, and the queen was there and he was, Oh, sorry, mom. And, uh, and, and, the, I, and, and there was another time when she, she gave him a cup of tea. And I loved that story because like you, you would see that like, she's the queen, you know, you, you, you're the queen's guard. You don't do anything. You just do everything. But, but the, the reality of what and how she was, I was so pleased when he told me that story. Cause I loved her anyway. Um, and it was like, Oh man, that's just so awesome. But yeah, I remembered, I remembered that. And, but this is the great thing, isn't it? With all the podcasts and all the stories, um, you know, but yeah, Dave, Dave Watson, such a cool guy, but yeah, the queen gave him orange juice. Oh, that's such that a great like- story. That's such a great story. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's like when, when people kind of surprise you in a, in a, in a pleasant way, it's, you know, pleasantly surprising, um, sort of thing that, you know, this idea of the queen, you, you know, you, um, someone of that stature of that, you know, up on that level, you know, doing something simple, like giving someone an orange juice because it's really hot out, you know, it's sort of, it's pleasantly surprising. And I think we like that. You know, I think we, yeah, we, we, we like that in life. Ricky, listen, I really appreciate you joining me, man. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, Thank you for it's been me. really cool. It's, we've, I think we've touched on some really cool topics and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I want you to just please tell everyone listening uh, where they can learn more about you, how they can learn about the NFT jungle and how they can follow you and all that sort of stuff. Well, if you, okay, so you can find me on Twitter or X, sorry, X now, X is the main social media that I use. Uh, I have a show on a Monday, uh, 10 till 12, uh, sometimes 10 till one GMT. Uh, so yeah, catch me on there. It's Ricky O'Donnell. 79 is my handle i apologize if you see my madness on x because that's just like the craziness uh of the nft jungle which you will see and you'll wonder wonder what that is but it's like the disney of the blockchain where we're going to do lots of very very cool things in the future and ongoing so yeah you can find me there i'm generally interviewing many legends and friends uh and having spaces which is super cool uh you could keep me on other social media channels but i think my web too well think i've gone mad in the whole realm of web three and my pfp is like uh crazy colors as well so there we are yeah. great thank ricky you thank you so much me. man I, I hope to talk to you soon thank you my friend and for those of you who are still listening congratulations i didn't bore you or put you to sleep <laughs> or maybe i did <laughs> this is the just listening podcast i gotta go go where we just got it I got that thing. I got to go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.